everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true, of course. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can listen to my or watch my conversation with Andrea Barrett, Cool woman. That was a great chat we had. Go find it at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Uh, we're going to have a little mini conference. We were going to do it at the end of October. We've moved it up into November. We'll have the exact dates for you soon. But it'll be all online. I'll be teaching a couple classes there. It'll be, it'll be a great chance to do a little thing. All online, like I said, so no matter where you are, you can take part in it. That's right. So go learn more about the PNWA at pnwa.org. So today's so today it was interesting for a couple things to talk, say about the conversation I had with Julia Sullivan. Uh, so she published her first novel, Bone Necklace, and we talked a lot about a, some about her work as a lawyer, but also about the lo- long journey she took to write and publish this book because she was a lawyer, and while a very literate person. Uh, had not written a book ever before. And so she had to learn, not only was it historical, so she had tons of research to do about the subject matter, but also just learn how to write an, a novel. And I should say, one of the people she, I would say, learned a little bit from was me. She took a, a, a class for me, apparently, at a writer's conference. And I only mention this because, you know, it's always interesting to me to remember, you never know what kind of effect you're going to have. You don't know. And all the things you do, it's always nice to learn uh, the ripples of your efforts in the world. And this was a nice reminder of that. Last thing I should say about this particular uh, conversation is that her dog made a somewhat unwanted appearance. We had to deal with that lovely dog, but dogs are loud. And so that's in there, but that's okay. We love the animals and didn't ruin it by any stretch of the imagination. So Julia Sullivan started working on Bone Necklace, that's her novel, more than 20 years ago, that's right, after visiting the Big Hole Battlefield in Wisdom, Montana. Julia first became interested in the Nez Perce story because of the great injustice that the tribe suffered. What kept her interested was their conduct during the war. While under attack, the Nez Perce won the respect of the soldiers sent to fight them and the civilian population. At the end of the war, Canada offered them political asylum. Julia is a lawyer in the United States and a solicitor in England and Wales. Throughout her career, she has worked to expose and root out injustice. And yes, and that's just what we talked about. Talked about a lot of cool stuff. And so I'm so glad I get to share that conversation or conversation with you today. Enjoy. Okay, well, look who it is. It's Julia Sullivan. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm talking to you from well, you're, I'm in Seattle, you're in Maryland, and we just were briefly chatting before we started, and you had just yesterday received a tour of the West Wing, because your daughter, your daughter-in-law, is that right? Did I get that right? Daughter-in-law works in that, in the you did get that right. branch, is that correct? That is correct, yeah, it was, it was super cool. Well, um, it seems relevant to these- you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say all these spaces, I have a very clear idea in my mind what they look like because I've seen them so many times in movies and TV, but um, to see them in person, of course, everything looks much smaller in person. That, this is all I ever hear about the White House and that is that it's not, 
it is a small place kind of by considering what it is the size <laughs> it's actually and maybe a little shabby yeah. sometimes surprised not as 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 uh because it's just so busy and occupied it's heavily used <laughs> heavily used space um well you know it seems relevant to me uh because so your 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 day job has been i don't is it current still currently a lawyer is that you still practice the I law i'm still a lawyer okay yeah and a and a barrister so you practice in more than one country am i did i understand correctly I'm a solicitor in England and Wales. So they distinguish over there between solicitor and barrister. Barrister really only argues cases in court. And a solicitor, what a solicitor can do what? What is it? Just does like uh, corporate law or anything or everything else essentially that isn't in front of a judge? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Writing contracts and giving advice and um, I'm an arbitrator, so I do arbitration. Uh, but you um, you got into the law, uh, according to you, because you were interested in doing some good, in uh, correcting injustices. Is that Was that part of the youthful ambition that, that brought you to the law? Yeah, that's right. When I was... Oh, 10, 9, 10 years old, a family member was uh, wrongly accused of a crime. And it was really dramatic. Um, He went to trial, he was acquitted. But it was really terrifying, really terrifying and dramatic. And it really made an impression on me um, how the power of the government can come down on the individual and how, how lopsided those kinds of battles can be. Um, so was yeah, this, I uh, was this a um, was this a close relative, uh, like a sibling, or was it just like an uh-huh. uncle or aunt or something that you were privy to that sort of distantly? It was my dad. Oh, oh my! Well, that's extra scary, isn't it? It it was. He um, he was in the military uh, while the case was pending. He lost his security clearance, so he really couldn't do his job. Right. Um, he uh, lost a promotion over it. Um, wow. So yeah, it was it was financially devastating. Um, his, you know, he almost lost his liberty. Yeah. So it was it was, it was quite it was quite terrifying. Yeah. Wow. And wow. the the just the the element of just not understanding the process, not understanding how this happened, not understanding how to fight back not really understanding the risks, um, having to put your life in the hands of a lawyer who's really a total stranger to you. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I, uh, I just, after that, I always wanted to, um, to, to I, I've always been very suspicious of lopsided power relationships, I guess. I'll put it yeah. that way. Well, as well, you should be. Uh, I think, I think that um, it's you know it's it, you you went into the law, but I think artists in general often are aware of that. Um, I think sometimes motivated by their view of it, whether as children or adults, that wanting to because yeah. I think that the artist often wants to give voice to the 
ones they think don't have one, whether they're conscious of it or not, or give voice to that which isn't spoken even sometimes. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. And as a lawyer, that's that's what you're doing in a, in a case is you're using your voice um, to speak on behalf of somebody who can't speak on their own behalf. Yeah. Um, and I think as an artist, that's what you're doing sometimes too. Did you, uh, I promise we're going to come to Bone Necklace, which is your debut novel. But I, there is a line between the work you did and that that novel. Um, and so I'm curious, so you because your journey as a lawyer reminds me of a journey of so many artists, which is you have the dream as a young person. Interestingly, now yours was born out of near tragedy and certainly confusion and, and fear. Um, but that age is when most people learn they want to write. While you were turning your attention towards the law, and I suspect if my reading of people is correct, you were a bit of an A student anyway, uh, nothing. My I was kind of that, and my sister was that. So nothing wrong. I nothing wrong with that. But you strike me as someone, as are most lawyers, who sort of was good academically. Is that true? Um, I was good at the subjects I enjoyed. Ah, I'm not so good. One of those. At okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I like it. So yeah, not physics, a total straight A yeah. student. Oh, okay. <laughs> Physics didn't go well at all. Oh. oh, interesting. Okay. But were you, so you must, so my guess is you, one of the things you were interested in was English and writing and reading, I would suspect. Yeah. Yeah. My undergrad degree was um, English. Yeah. And did you, while you were at turning your, your, your arrow of your life towards the law, were you also dabbling in fiction and poetry or anything like that? You know, only as a reader, um, um, okay. and and but but I always I always sort of viewed you know when you're putting together a case, you're sort of looking at what happened to the extent you can figure that out, right? And then you're when you're choosing the witnesses, you're choosing the voice. Oh, um, they're the voice. You know. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. Yeah, who who should speak for this part of the story and who should tell that part of the story. I always thought there was a great um, overlap between putting a law piece together and putting a, putting a story together. Um, but it wasn't until I actually sat down to write fiction that I realized, yeah, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> right? Well, it was, I'm so I, let me, let me, Bear with me a second. Yeah, please. we have a dog in the room, people. And uh, Julia, yeah, she's just she's just going to say. Sorry. Right. Yeah, that's what you got to do sometimes. I got sorry, cats sorry. sometimes. I have cats that occasionally, we have a little toy that, that serves as their mouse. And my male will bring that to my door and start meowing painfully for me to come see what he has done. <laughs> so it happens to me too. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting yeah. you say that because when I would teach students sometimes, when I'm trying to talk about showing and not telling and the power of that, I I say, I say, think of your readers like a jury. You don't say to them, look at my client. Isn't he innocent? He's clearly innocent. I've seen innocent people and he's one of them. No, you show them the evidence so they can make their own choice. And that strikes mm -hmm. me is what, of course, what you're doing. You have no choice in that, do you? Yeah, yeah, sure. It is, so it is, it is. Kind of similar, yeah. So 
My last question about the law for you is that once you actually got your law degree and you got, you must've gotten one, what, in both the Great Britain and the U.S.? Is that how, is that, were you practicing on both, in both places? Um, I'm an arbitrator in both places. Arbitrator, yeah. okay. So, Once you yeah. set to work, but, did you did you find yourself able to uh, feel like you were serving injustice at all? Or did you feel that, or was it far more complicated than that? Well, the thing about um, there was always a trade off between income and <laughs> values. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to do enough of the paying work to pay the bills. And um, the work that I was really passionate about was pro bono, meaning right. not only did I not get paid, but I had to pay the expenses. Wow. Um, so it was, you know, quite expensive to do the work that was that I really enjoyed the most. So obviously there was a limit on how much of that I could do. Sure. Um, but uh it wasn't that it wasn't that the pain work didn't I mean I believed in what I was doing. Right. Um, but it was not what I became a lawyer to do necessarily. Well, it's always yeah. a challenge. But I um yeah, I uh did a lot of work with the Innocence Project. I don't know if you've ever heard yep. of the Innocence Project. Yep. I have. Um I was at the Innocence Project for a while and um we uh recruited lawyers and represented people who'd been wrongfully convicted. And um, I still do some work with the Innocence Project. That was great, very rewarding. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. all right. So at some point, now this book was like 20 years, Bone Necklace, which uh, sort of, his, well, I'll let you talk about the the subject matter, but it was 20 years in the making. You 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 sort of learned yeah. about this story some time ago. So talk tell our, tell our listeners a bit about that. Yeah, so I, um, my husband was born and raised in Montana, so we spent a lot of time in Montana, and um, I went to visit a battlefield in Montana, the big whole battlefield, and which is where one of the battles of the Nez Perce War occurred, and I really got fascinated by the story. I was still practicing law full-time, um, but I got really fascinated by the story and I started looking into it deeper and deeper. I actually, my, I wrote a law review article about it. Um, always oh. approaching things first, the lawyer. Right. Um, but I, I really, I got the idea that I'd really love to write a novel. I thought that was a better way to tell this story for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry about my dog. <laughs> it's all right. He's a fan. <laughs> It'll be. It's yeah. Hard. Maybe if I let him in here. All right. We're going to try other things, people. You know, the dogs, they just, they want to be a part of everything. They're such, they're such, oh, he's a beautiful dog too. So, so you're out in Montana. You see that you write a law review piece based on, on this, on this battle site. And then you got story, got interested in this story, which was, which took place when? This is. So Story occurred, yeah, in the summer of 1877, and it's about a small band of Native Americans who um, evade four converging armies over an 1,100-mile um, line of retreat um, uh, while their families escape to Canada. 
So uh, it was it was fascinating on so many levels to me. Um, that uh, yeah. So I uh, but I really wanted to tell the story fiction in fiction. I decided for a few reasons, and one was that in order to tell the the complete story in all of its historical detail, you know, it would be a three thousand page book. Right. And right. I wanted to I wanted to capture the essence but also simplify. And right. so historical didn't seem like a great tool. Right. Yeah. And so, well, okay. So, but you've never written a novel. You've never written fiction, I guess. Had you written any, had you dabbled in short stories or anything? Oh, oh no. I just thought, how hard can this be? Right, Bill? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can't be anything. Okay. <laughs> and what did you think once you started doing it? <laughs> It was really hard. So <laughs> I took, um, I think about a year off from my practice. I took a leave of really? absence from my practice. I wanted to work on this full time. And I thought in like a year I could do it. Right. Um, and, uh, and at the end of the year, I kind of had to go back to work and I was nowhere near finished. I don't even think I had a workable outline yet at the time. You must have had to do a ton of research to get, because there's so much you need to get right, you know, just about, just not even about yeah. that specific event, but just the time to really get the time. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I I found that um, I really spent that whole year just doing research. Wow. Um, and very little writing, but I, but I loved it. It was great. I spent, I went to the National Archives. I sat in that oh, big, nice. great reading room. And um, and I was reading, you know, the original handwritten notes from treaty negotiations. And I was traveling to historical societies all over the country looking at handwritten oh, accounts. You really did it. Oh, you went. You, yeah. you did it. You went full in. I I did. I, I loved that part of it. And um uh, but the writing with the writing was really hard. And so at the end of that year, I went back to work. I kind of had to go back to work, but um, but I continued working on the book. And one thing I figured out in the year was that I really needed to take some fiction writing classes. Ah, okay. So you oh boy, you just you good, good, good student. Okay. <laughs> and were they and were there some nearby that did you do them online? Did you do them in person? Um, well, what I started doing was um, going to conferences. Ah, and excellent. Um, yeah, the first one I went to, I met you. What? It was probably back. Yeah, I'm trying to think when it would have been. Um, was it in New York? When, it was in um, Washington. Was it Seattle? Maybe. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, C- yep, yep. Yes, that's where I yeah. frequently I frequent that conference. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I listened to your talk and but I went and listened to a bunch of experienced writers and there were always some really great master classes. I remember yeah. Donald Ma. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yep. Yeah, so then I I thought he was amazing. I went and bought all his books. And, yeah. Oh boy. Um, so it's kind that. of ad hoc. Yeah, it was kind of ad hoc. Um, reading about writing and um. Uh, and then, of course, I hired multiple editors. Mm. So were I they helpful? Take... Some were and some weren't. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, it was my first book. I didn't know who to hire. I had no idea who to hire. Yeah. Um, and so um, I just, I would, I hired, I don't know, six or seven over a period of years, but, but I, it wasn't like I hired one, fired them, hired another one. I, I had them all working sort of on top of each other, unbeknownst <laughs> to each other. Oh my but God, that sounds get, horrible. <laughs> it does sound horrible, but I didn't really know what was going to be useful and what wasn't going to be. I, I, I wanted to get multiple um, sets of feedback. Okay. And so sometimes I would get a set of feedback and I would think this isn't helping me. And so I would quit using that one. And, right, right. Um, yeah, there was a woman named Ronit Feldman who was amazing. Oh, okay. um, I wanted as much of her time as I could get. She was amazing. Um, and others who were less helpful so so but that was a multi-year process i'm sure you can uh, appreciate oh you, well you're having to i mean you most you know like most writers you write a couple books you're that's your they don't get published and that's your that's your learning like you write books that like okay let's do another one or let's do another one and that's your school i mean sometimes you do it in an mfa program a lot of times you just do it yeah. at your desk and that so you were kind of doing it all you were actually you were determined to finish this project but you had so much to learn and i mean so much there's so much that, that, you, that you can't anticipate right until you're actually in the thick of it yeah yeah that's right i well i kind of did what you described bill i wrote this book and then i wrote it again ah uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then yeah. i wrote it again yeah right i, I just kind of wrote the same book multiple times until I got it to where I was happy with it. And then you're right. Um, and then there were this sort of, um, okay, I've spent a long time on this book. I've worked really hard. I've done all the research, but, um, but I want to make sure that I got it culturally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then I, after I was done with all the editors, then I had to find cultural advisors oh, God. to read the book. How exhausting. <laughs> so yeah, so that that was probably another two years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was by by this time I I am not I'm not working on the book full time. I was sure. You know, I was yeah. Also, a lot of the delay was on me, but but yeah, I was I decided. At one of the conferences, actually, somebody asked me if I'd done that. And I thought, wow, that's so obvious. I need to do that, don't I? I yeah. hadn't thought about it. Yeah. But yeah, I need to do that. So so we did. Wow. So All right. And then we start the publication process, which, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a whole <laughs> other. Then you got a new thing to learn about, don't you? Yeah. 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 But yeah. you're able to find a publisher. I... You're able to find a, a, a small publisher. And. Is it, was it, was it, where was the publisher? Where are they located? They're out. They're in Richmond. So, so actually I'll, I'll tell you quickly. Um, I, I went with a small publisher in New York and then they consigned, and I put this all together. They consigned the book to like a medium sized publisher oh, also okay. in New York. And then they consign it to one of the big publishers. Great. So like the big publisher wouldn't deal with me but they would distribute my book if I, you know, right. went through this chain. And so that's what I was going to do. And then my little publisher, after about a year, so we're about a year into this, 
the little publisher lost his deal with the medium size. Oh God. Okay. All so right. that, so yeah. then that the chain so is broken. I, the chain was broken. So I terminated the whole thing and I started over. Um, and I wound up going with a small press named Brandy Lane in Richmond and they've been fantastic. And yeah. so the book, and so, all right. So this long, long journey just going on and on <laughs> but it, but now it ends in publication in june and what has yeah. that been like for you that's got to have been interesting you know it's um it's been great it's been a great learning experience of course well then i had to learn how to market a book yeah oh yeah, yeah. i you know no idea how to market a book um so i of course the publisher's been really helpful but I, um, you know me by now, so I hired a publicist. <laughs> good for you. That's good. Um, That's good. We did practice interviews. Really? And, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. First I've heard yeah. of that. Yeah. So, um, so she was great. Um, so I worked with her for a while. And then, um, you know, and then I started doing interviews and right so so yeah and i've and i had to figure out social media too um, yeah well you know i teach a class called fearless marketing and it's really not about marketing but it is about how to get your how to get your creativity involved in the marketing there's a sense of like to view marketing as just chopping wood but i really don't think it is i think you got to bring the same level of inventiveness and enthusiasm that you do to the writing that you do to figuring out the best yeah. way to share it so you know, and sometimes social media works and yeah. I'm done. You know, you got to be into it. There's a, there's a whole movement on TikTok of all these writers on TikTok. I'm still not quite understanding how that translates, but I think for young readers, young readers, I think more so than the grownups. Yeah. Uh, so have you gotten, all right, so you got to be, talk to people like me. That's nice. But what about readers? What about actual people who just read it to be entertained and inspired and moved? Have you got to talk to any of these people? Um, so actually, the reviews have been great. Nice. Um, I'm really happy with the reviews. Um, the editorial reviews have been have been really consistently good, and uh, and the reader reviews have been really good too. And um, I've done a couple of bookstore events. Mm. And I thought I might just talk to readers there, but of course it was um, people who hadn't read my book yet. You yeah. know, they're, there's no way. Yeah. The book. yeah. So, um, but social media has actually been great for that. Yeah. I've gotten that's a lot where you of hear from feedback. Them. Yeah. 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 So that's been really gratifying. And so what, I mean, it, when, as you look back on all this, was it worth it? Are you glad you took this whole journey? Totally. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the journey. Um, but I I got to learn some fascinating history and meet some amazing people and learn a completely new set of skills, which yeah. um I like, I have always enjoyed being on the steep part of the learning curve. You know, when you're, when you're learning something new, you're improving 
yeah. pretty fast, really fast. And then when you get to the peak of your skill level, you kind of flatten out and that's when I kind of lose interest. Yeah. But this has been sort of on the steep part of the learning curve on this project from start to finish learning new yeah. things. And yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing about writing is I remember what Alice Hoffman, Alice Hoffman's written 20, I don't know how many books she's written, you know, just close to 30 by now, probably. And what she said to me was, and it's true, this is a beauty. If you like learning, every time she sits down to write the new book, she says, wait, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to write a book. How do I write a book again? Because it's not the same book she wrote before. So every time you sit down, that learning curve will be steep conceivably for your entire life if you if you want it to be if you're interested that's the beauty of of well the arts in general i would say but book writing for sure yeah. you know yeah for sure yeah it's, uh, it's it's also um this is sort of the same practicing law when you get a case you have yeah. to learn a whole new yeah. set of facts and he, i love that i love yeah. that so ah it's good learning learning it's interesting I know for myself, when I write, if I'm not discovering something, I'm bored. Like I've got to set out yeah. with the goal of discovery, which is a kind of learning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a question, Bill, um, because I know most people don't take 20 plus years to finish one book. Not not many, but I know some. But but do you do you give yourself a, a firm schedule? When you start to, a new project, oh, as to when I think it'll be done, or when you when you force yourself to get it done. No, but I have a sense. I think I've written. I've been doing this so long that I have a sense of how long it'll take me. But when I was starting out, no, I was just like, I'm just going to write until I think it's done. You know, if it's a year, if it's two years, yeah. you know. But when I was doing yeah. it, that was really. I wasn't trying to be a lawyer. I was like, there was no plan B for me. So I just like so I even though I had a day job you know, I would just write, but if it took, it took me five mm -hmm. years to four, finally given up on my first book. I mean, I wrote it and rewrote it and resubmitted it and rewrote it on and on and on and on. So no, I don't have a firm yeah. deadline, but you know, some people are, you know, it reminds me of the guy who wrote the magicians. What's his name? Oh, I forget his name. That was an interesting guy. And he wrote a literary novel, a literary suspense. And then he wrote the magicians, which is, they made a series of it on CW or something. I don't know, but it's, he said it was, Harry Potter was sex and drugs. That was his pitch. And so, but he wrote that. It took him like three years to write it or four years to write it. And they published a big hit. And they said, okay, great. We need the next book in a year. And he said, well, I'll see what I can do. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. The printer is waiting, will be printing your book in a year. So we need it. And he was amazed that he could do it on that schedule. He told himself, I need all that time. And it turns out, he didn't that, you know, with the pressure on, he could do it. Right. So I think it can be done either way. You know, I made a point. I wrote an yeah. essay a day, five days a week, and I gave myself 40 minutes to write the essays. And that's, and I did it for years that way. Yeah. I, I said, I'm not going to, oh, wow. I'm going to learn wow. how to do it fast. I'm going to learn. And, and it made me not, it, it, it actually was, it taught me how to, um, not question myself and not overthink things and trust a certain kind of instinct. And it worked, yeah. but so, all right. So having done it, would you do it again? Assuming it wouldn't take you 20 years to do another one. You know, that's a great question. I I've have a couple of other ideas and I've started researching a couple of other ideas. And honestly, 
I think I need to fall in love with another story like I fell in love with another story. Otherwise, um, it will feel like work. Good, good. I like that attitude and, and trust it. But if you want, here's what I do believe. If you want to write another story, then you will find the story that you love. I believe that that's the way it works. So, yeah. all right. Well, so it's bone necklace, people. If you like well-written, historically rich, compelling stories, buy it and read it. Um, it is a lush read, I must say. Um, but I got another question for you. Also, if people want to learn about you, sure. if they want you to come zoom into their living rooms and do a book group or some such thing, where's the best place to go? My website www.juliasullivanauthor.com juliasullivanauthor.com people write it down make a note go visit it okay got one more question for you though julia i want you to think sure. back if all if this writing project if this thing you've been doing for 20 years has taught you anything it's taught you what if it's well i guess i would say the nez per story is all about perseverance it's about a small group of people who refuse to give up, refuse to succumb despite overwhelming odds. And I always felt like if you're going to take on a story like that, you have to persevere and finish it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, when you start something, finish it. Um, so that was, that was my goal was to, you know, at some point I'd put enough into it. I just wanted to finish it and a way that I could be proud of, so. Well, you yeah. should be proud. You should be proud. You did some really good work. So I hope you are, I hope you are satisfied with that. You should be, in my opinion. Thank you, Bill. Well, I appreciate it. You're very welcome. And thanks for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Perseverance. Yeah. Perseverance. It's, it's, you know, at, to me, I think it's, it's critical for writing because you have to spend so much time where the only evidence that your efforts are, are uh, worth something or going somewhere is your own interest in the project, your own desire to see it finished. You have to persevere, you have to trust. And that to me is, that's perseverance. And boy, Writing teaches us that, doesn't it? Sure does. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And I want to thank all of you out there for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. Uh, and until next week, till next week, I just want to say go find something, something you love to do and then do it. Mm -hmm.